Well, let's turn to uh, Malachi again. And as we do, let's uh, pray and ask God for his help. Let's pray. God says, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that tonight you would give us uh, that attitude, that posture before you. We pray that you would uh, speak to us, and we pray that you would help us listen and trust and love uh, what you say to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, Well, Malachi, uh, as I think we've been seeing, is a searching book. Uh, The questions we hear are very challenging. Um, It is like a wake-up call for God's people. It is like a cardiogram um, exposing our hearts. But Malachi is also like a smoke alarm. Um, Now, the smoke alarm in our house is uh, awful, and it is incredibly loud. Uh, in fact, I wish I could uh, play a recording of it uh, to you tonight just so you could uh, hear just how loud it is. Um, it's pretty painful. Um, it has made us slightly terrified of uh, burning our toast. And maybe some of you guys uh, have the same kind of thing at home. It is painful, but it is necessary. And uh, Malachi is a bit like that, painful. But necessary. And the more I've read them, um, the more I think that tonight's verses uh, might just be the hardest, might just be the most uh, painful of all. They're very challenging uh, because of the issues and the questions that are confronted and raised. Uh, they're not just theological, and they're very personal. And so as we look at this passage tonight, I want uh, to give you a very simple structure as we approach these verses. Three numbers, okay, one, two, and three. I'm sure we can handle that. One, two, three. Um, Tonight we're going to see one sin, uh, two examples, and three applications. And firstly, let's look at the one sin that's in these verses. Now, when a word or or an idea is uh, repeated in the Bible, God is telling us something. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, just think of that chapter for a moment. It's a good example. As Isaiah sees um, a vision of God, he is described as holy, holy, holy. And as you read uh, that chapter, we're left in no doubt as to what God is uh, really like. But in our passage, uh, there's one word one idea that that dominates. It's mentioned five times in just um, seven verses. I wonder if you saw it. It is the word faithless. Um, It's there in verse 10, uh, verse 11, uh, verse 14, uh, verse 15, and verse 16. And this faithlessness, it is like the the beginning of a fire spreading through a house. And it is like a disease starting to spread through uh, the body. And the question is at the start in verse 
10, they expose the condition. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Um, as God begins to confront his people's sin, he, he is reminding the, his people that they are a family, uh, that they don't exist all by themselves. They're not their own. Instead, they all have one father, one creator. And this sense of connection is, is deepened by uh, the last word in verse 10. They don't just have a, a capital F father, they have fathers. Um, here are people who are bound together by relationships, by heritage, by history. But the faithlessness being confronted, the one sin here is not so much faithlessness towards God, it is faithlessness towards one another. And the one big problem with God's people is that God's people have forgotten their one. And what is striking is that Malachi seems to think he is part of the problem as well. It's not you, 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 is it, in verse 10. No, it's we, it's, it's us. As one of the commentators says, in these verses, the prophet is speaking like a pastor and even as a fellow citizen. And this sin of faithlessness to one another, it challenges our, our tendency to think of ourselves as isolated individuals. And this is something that's very hard for us to, to fight against in our culture. So much of our culture is so personalized and so focused on maximizing choice, whether it's the, if you enjoyed this, you'll like this, on Amazon uh, or Netflix, um, or the pressure put on uh, young people to construct their own identities. We uh, live in a society that encourages us to obsess over our own individuality. And all of this can subtly impact our view of the Christian life. We can find ourselves thinking so much about ourselves that there is little room to think about God or anyone else. Now, those of us who are kind of part of evangelical churches, we often stress our personal relationship with God. That's absolutely true and a wonderful truth. And yet we're also to remember we're part of a body. Um, it's never just me and Jesus. No, it's always you and me and Jesus. And so that means we cannot assume that the way we treat our fellow believers is irrelevant or has no impact on our relationship with Christ. And one of the things this will mean is that all parts of the body are of great value. There are, as someone once said, no little people in God's kingdom. And how we treat those who the world would think of as insignificant, well, that is the measure of our understanding of God's grace. 
and faithlessness to one another is a sin. Now, what uh, Malachi does, um, what God does through him in, in verses 11 to 16, is help us see this sin more clearly. He gives us two examples. That's our second heading. One problem and then two examples. And since he's talking about um, our relationships with one another, he kind of focuses in on the most personal relationship of all. And he shows us two ways that the faithlessness of God's people is seen in marriage. And the first is intermarriage. Look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. And the language here is uh, really striking. Um, We often say of someone, uh, you look so like your granny. And someone said that about Marianne when um, her picture went up on the the St. Peter's uh, Facebook page. And we we often see familial ties, familial uh, traits rather, in the children of people that we know. And this ties in with verse 11 because the phrase daughter of, that uh, means bearing the character of. And here are people who who marry those, who have married those, who have become like the idols they worship. And what we need to see here is the connection here between intermarriage and idolatry. Uh, Throughout their history, God's people were warned of the danger of marrying those who worshipped other gods. The most famous example of this was King Solomon. Uh, whose love for his many wives uh, led his heart astray from God. But look how that practice, this practice is described, verse 11. It is an abomination. It is something that has profaned the sanctuary of God. It's, it's hard to think, isn't it, of, of two stronger words. And so this is not like Boaz marrying Ruth, the Moabitess, um, after she made a commitment to, to follow Yahweh. Now, what is being condemned here by God is marriage between a person who loves the God revealed in Scripture and someone who doesn't. And we can imagine the pillow talk, can't we? Uh, Malachi is written after the return from exile. We can imagine something being said like this. You say your God loves you, but where is he now? I love you. I want to be with you. If your God was really loving, he would let us be together. And he would want what's best for you. If you love me then you'd realize that my worship matters to me as well. Come and worship my God. Now what makes this um, really hit home is remembering verse 10. 
You see, what was the problem? God was condemning the faithlessness of God's people to one another. And these marriages were a sign of that. And so what this meant was when an Israelite man said, it doesn't matter who I marry, I can worship with my wife, but still come to the temple, still come and be with God's people. He was failing to see that his sin wasn't just an offense between him and God. No, it was impacting the rest of the community. God was saying it is not some private matter. He was not to think who I am at home has no bearing on my worship. He was not to think my relationship is between me and and my new wife. The, The issue is so much bigger than that. And one of the most um, interesting periods in history is Romanticism. Um, Don't worry, I was a history teacher. I'm not going to give you a a full history lesson. There won't be any homework. Um, But Romanticism was um, an intellectual and artistic movement uh, towards the end of the 18th century. And to put it very simply, too simply, um, it was a time where an approach to life that was kind of based on reason and um, objectivity Well, that was all replaced with another that was far more um, emotive and and subjective. Uh, Writers we may have heard of like Wordsworth or Keats or, or Byron, they were the people to the fore. And men and women were to just follow their hearts rather than their minds. And these attitudes are just so dominant today, aren't they? Follow you, follow your heart, live your truth. And this tends to slip into our thinking about marriage. We tend to think of it as a private affair. And in one sense it is. Marriage is the most uh, intimate relationship a man and a woman can have, of course. But in another sense, marriage is a public affair. That's why marriage ceremonies happen in public. That's why friends and family come and and hear the promises that are made. But God's people weren't thinking like this. And the marriages that they had begun, they they were pulling them away from him. And they were pulling them away from one another. They were a way of God's people saying to their covenant family, Our unity, all that we've been called to by God, that is less important. That is less important than my new relationship. Now Malachi's response to this is seen in verse 12. He prays. He prays that the Lord will cut off the descendants of anyone who acts in this way. I think we need to say, don't we, today, that God doesn't tend to do the kind of thing that Malachi asks. More often than not, in God's common grace, um, he does give children to Christians often who marry those who don't share their faith. 
But you and I should not be embarrassed by these words. Malachi praised them because he is concerned for God's honor. He cares about it. And the question we have to ask ourselves is simple. Do we? Do we? Now, we're going to um, apply this a bit more later on, but I want us to see the second example um, before we do. Um, In verses 13 to 16, the focus changes from intermarriage to divorce. And Malachi brings up the subject by talking about, about worship, verse 13. And this is the second thing you do, he says. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning. And why all the weeping? Because God no longer cares for their offerings. Here are people that God has stopped listening to, people whose worship God isn't interested in. And why is that, verse 14? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Now, I'm very aware that uh, the topic of divorce is challenging. Uh, Some of you may have uh, questions about it. And if that is the case, then let me say that it's something that Andy and I are uh, very happy to chat about. There are books and um, other resources that have helped many Christians think through uh, this issue. And it's also important to say that not all divorces are sinful. There are passages we could go to in the Old and New Testament to illustrate this. Sometimes the sad fact is that marriages between Christians break down for legitimate reasons. But what God condemns here are divorces without a scriptural warrant. And he does so in part by highlighting what marriage was meant to be. In verse 14, it's described as a covenant relationship, something that, that God is a witness to. Do you see that? Um, in case we're tempted to think of this as kind of cold, um, note the mention of companionship as well. In verse 15, uh, oneness language is used to, to highlight the intimacy of marriage. Uh, The mention of God's spirit highlights that it is a sacred relationship. And one of its purposes, that the bringing up of children who will follow the Lord, is also mentioned there in verse uh, 15. Uh, In verse 16, God says that uh, the man who does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment with violence. And the language is striking, isn't it? Um, Joyce Baldwin, one of the the commentators, points out there is a kind of parallel with murder. And God seems to be saying that there is a sense, a sense in which an unscriptural divorce can leave a kind of mark on a person like blood-stained clothing. 
Now, friends, these are uh, haunting verses, aren't they? It's um, no surprise that twice God's people are called to guard themselves. And these are verses that should make us weep. These are verses that should make us cry out to God. These are verses that should make us ask him to keep us faithful to him and to our spouse if we're married and to one another. We've seen the one sin. We've seen the two examples. What I want to do now as we close is is draw out three applications. Three applications. And we've begun to kind of do this a little bit already, but um, I have three groups of people in mind uh, as we think about this passage. If you're not in one of these um, three groups, then let's pray for uh, people in our church family who are or who might be. And the first are those here who are single, the single The message of these verses in Malachi to this group tonight is don't be deceived. Maybe you're single tonight, you'd love to be married. That is a very good desire. But don't let it be satisfied in a way that contradicts God's word. That's what Malachi is saying. If you're a Christian and you are drawn to someone who is not a Christian, and you want to be in a relationship with them, this is what God says to you through these verses. Don't do it. It is that simple. Don't think it won't impact your relationship with him or other believers. Don't think mine is the special case. Because if you think like that, then you are already wandering away. See, our culture has a, a strange view of marriage. In one sense, we, we celebrate it, don't we? we uh, some of us love uh, a royal wedding, and uh, we love the kind of fairy tale ending. And yet, people also say strange things as well, don't they? They say, oh, it's um, just a piece of paper. Um, Other people are absolutely terrified at the thought of marriage. It's often uh, portrayed as uh, the end of a person's life. And so I think a Christian approach is this. Don't go into it lightly, but also don't be afraid of it. It's God's idea. And so if you're a Christian um, going out with another Christian, I don't know if any of that's going on when I'm looking out here. I'm not going to look at anybody. Um, But if you have talked about marriage, if you have prayed about it, if you have spoken to your family or um, some older Christians, don't be afraid to take that step. Because those here tonight who have loved and lost, who have had Uh, the joy of a happy marriage, but are now widowed, they would tell you tonight it is a wonderful gift. So the single. Second group, the married. 
I think this passage says uh, to those of us in that state, value your marriage. Nurture it. Guard it. Don't let anything damage it. And enjoy it. And yes, marriage can have its challenges, but it is also a wonderful gift from God. But maybe tonight you, you know, or maybe tonight you are someone um, here or watching this, um, married to someone who isn't a Christian. Um, I know several people like that. Um, they came to faith in later life. What are they called to do? Well, they are called to love their spouses, aren't they? They're called to pray for them. They're called to pray that they'd come to know Christ. So the single and the married. The third and final group are the once married. You see, maybe divorce has touched you or someone you love. Maybe you were wronged. Or maybe you were the one who did wrong. Is there anything in this passage for a person like that? The answer is that, of course there is. Of course there is. Because as he highlights a marital mess, as he highlights unfaithfulness, will let Malachi's words remind all of us that God is faithful. You see, if you wanted to sum up the whole Bible in a sentence, how would you do it? Well, you could probably say this, couldn't you? The Bible is the story of Christ's love for a runaway bride. The Bible is the story of Christ's love for his runaway bride. Now, last week as we closed, we remembered that Jesus was a true priest but he is also a bridegroom. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church. And the whole purpose of history, the reason that the universe exists, is that the Son of God might have a bride. And we tonight are that bride. What do we say in our marriage vows? Till death do us part. Well, his death made the marriage possible, didn't it? And not even our death will ever be able to part us from him. And so tonight, let Malachi take you by the hand and lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ our bridegroom. From heaven he came and sought us to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought us and for our life he died. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God. We worship you tonight. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he came down to earth from heaven. He came to seek out those who were lost. We thank you for the the intimacy and the closeness he wants with each of us. We thank you for the privilege of belonging to him. And we lift our hearts, we lift our voices to worship, to praise, to honor him tonight. We thank you for him. And we thank you for the great joy, the great prospect of one day seeing him face to face. For we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to um, close our service uh, this evening, uh, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. Um, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Let's stand and sing together.